Warning, this podcast contains adult language and is not suited for children. And we're back. Budget cuts can't keep us down, nor can technical difficulties. And who are we? He is Drake. I am Joe. This is the Squared Circle Sit Down, your podcast where you can join us to talk about all things professional wrestling. And we welcome you again. We welcome you back. Our wrestlemania reaction podcast is in limbo but that should hopefully be up by the time you're hearing this and uh yeah welcome everybody to squared circles sit down thank you again for joining us on your podcast platform of choice that's what anchor stitcher spotify apple and google podcasts you can also find us over on youtube at squared circles sit down please comment give us a like share or subscribe and you can also find us over on Twitter at Squared Circle SD. Thank you very much. Uh, if you remember, hit us with the hashtags, hashtag send hook, hashtag where is Layla Hirsch, but please let her join Team Taz. Hashtag Ali is back on TV, so is he free? We don't know. And uh, hashtag we'll talk about Cody Rhodes because we're always going to talk about Cody Rhodes. So with that, how are you doing, Drake? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Cody... But he does seem to live in our mind rent-free. There's a lot to cover tonight, and I, I think we're going to talk about Cody Rhodes as little as possible. But never, Damn. never. Uh, unfortunately, we won't be doing, every time we say it, we won't be doing The Curious Case of Cody Rhodes Part 2 because even though he's back, he hasn't really done too much worth talking about. One promo, that's it. Sure. But yeah, yeah we're, we'll get to so much stuff, but the, the land of WWE, right? Like WWE is in this weird chaos period post mania, which it, normally it's the exciting period. And I guess I'm a little excited for a couple of things. Cody's in WWE, Roman is champion, well, undisputed unified champion and all that. All right, whatever. And it seemed like we were going to get him versus Shinsuke, but I guess not. And now we're getting... I, I don't know what we're getting. They're unifying titles. They're not unifying titles. And then half of NXT is gone. Yeah, there's there's a lot of strange decisions being made. There was some excitement when they started teasing the, like, Reigns Nakamura thing. I was pretty hyped. And we talked about it beforehand, too, right? How he could potentially be one of those challengers. Uh, but they've kind of just forgotten about that to go for something really safe. But even more than that, this is something we talked about right before we got on that blew my mind. So they're doing the six-man tag now, right? They're doing uh, RK-Bro and Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns and the Usos. And I, it's no secret that I don't watch SmackDown or Raw consistently every week. Uh, I don't think either of us do. But last I had heard and seen, Roman was like, y'all got to bring home the other tag team titles now because that's how we roll now. So when I heard about this match, I was like, oh, okay. So I don't understand why we're not doing Roman Nakamura because that seems like an easy win. But I guess it's been a long time since we've done like a winner-takes-all tag team title match. And then you dropped on me that it's not. It's not for any titles, which is really weird. It is a regular, boring-ass six-man tag. And I, I know they're doing this big tour of Europe stuff. They're doing a couple of UK shows where... I have to imagine Drew is going to be prominently featured. Yeah. And I do wonder if this is going to turn into a thing of they just have the babyface team win. So Drew says, I get a title match and it's going to be on some of those shows. Sure. 
fine but for wrestlemania backlash the show itself this went from being a huge main event match where everything is on the line maybe drew becomes champion maybe all the heels walk away with so many titles that it's ridiculous and it just went to this is the middle of the card nobody cares yeah it's crazy because it's it's so sudden and so uninteresting that it's hard to even really come up with a lot to talk about for it right like yeah this is really boring (laughs) i don't know what else there is to say about it looking at the card really quickly there isn't a ton on this show it's like right now what they have confirmed there are six matches up and it's cody seth two okay fine we had that match it was good it'll probably be good again this six-man tag edge and his new uh faction judgment i guess yeah judgment day which isn't a faction yet really because it's just him and damian priest against AJ Styles in that match again. Uh, Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss split up, so they're facing each other in a match that I can't imagine too many people care about. Wait, and how, how did Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss split up? Because he blames Madcap Moss for his loss at Mania. So oh, that makes sense. Totally. It makes so much sense. And somehow in all of this, Mad Cat Moss is the babyface. Sure, it's fine. And and then we have Bobby Lashley and Omos in round two. Okay, I'm, I, I don't know. This is one of those things where they've just turned WrestleMania backlash into, let's just have all the rematches from WrestleMania. And I know this is not something new. They've done this forever but it really is let's just have a whole bunch of rematches and the one that i left off is uh clearly what's going to be the main event now of charlotte flair ronda rousey and i quit match for the smackdown women's championship everybody was really you know clamoring to see the match at wrestlemania so we're gonna just do it again it's just weird wwe's in this weird period where they're just chaotic and it feels like they're all over the place and yet they're moving they're not moving the needle at all. Like they're not moving anything forward by doing any of this stuff. And then what I referenced before of you look over at NXT, which is usually like the hot topic thing for WWE. Most for most fans like us who are looking for, well, what's new, what's who are these new interesting characters. It's usually a faster paced thing. The storylines are usually have more time devoted to them and then bam releases. Yeah. And, and, Man, you want to talk about things that don't make sense. Dexter Loomis was in maybe one of the hottest storylines last year, but it does speak to what we've said before about WWE's whole thing, which is we put you in a slot, we use you for that slot. Okay, it's over. We don't need you anymore. And Loomis, the the four things here that really, like, maybe not blow my mind, but stand out to me from the releases are Dexter Loomis, Dakota Kai, Malcolm Bivens, yeah, and Parker Bourdieu. Parker Bourdieu is the guy who, for a while, they were talking about as, like, the next coming of Brock Lesnar. Oh, him. Okay. Yeah. So you've got the guy that they were talking about as being the next Lesnar. You've got a guy who was crazy over. You've got Dakota Kai, who has been so interesting to watch, both in the ring and has developed so much character work lately. And you've got Malcolm Bivens, 
who has just never gotten an opportunity and still has managed to get over in spite of that. Crazy releases. Uh, it's nuts. Yeah. It's absolutely nuts. And even in the same timing window, you look at the people who do make it from NXT to the main roster, and now they're getting their names chopped off and everybody is, is different. It's, you know, we're, we're, you're not Walter, you're Gunther, you're not Marcel Bartel, you're what Ludwig Kaiser, mm. like uh, Tommaso Ciampa in one of the least egregious ones loses the Tommaso. Yeah, which is fine. That one's fine. That one's, that that one's fine. fine. <laughs> but like Austin Theory is no longer in Austin. He's just a theory. If you stick in NXT, the grizzled young veterans lost their first names and they're no longer the grizzled young veterans. Like it, what it are they just called now? I forget. They're just uh, Gibson and Drake. Oh, they don't even have a name anymore. Wow. No, they're just two guys. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I forgot about and that. It's, oh, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So how can you build the investment? If you're watching this product for any amount of time, you're just looking and saying, what is going on? Man, it's 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 pretty crazy to think about how far they're going to sort of dump everything that worked before in lieu of trying to make this very specific different product now. Which, again, I don't think the NXT 2.0 product suffers at all losing any of these people. And that's not a slight against them, because I, I love uh, at least three of the four of them. Parker Bourgeois, I just don't haven't seen enough to care about. But, like, I love the other three, but I don't think the product suffers at all losing them, which maybe is more of a statement on the product than anything else. Um, or maybe just the reinforces the idea that WWE doesn't really and hasn't for a while now been the place you have to be anymore. And moving away from WWE slightly because these people, unfortunately, are going to have to look for employment elsewhere, and I, I hope they find it. Um you have the uh, formerly the Iconics, now the Inspiration, have what seems to be declared retirement, leaving Impact. Uh, I would love to see that void filled with a Dakota Kai, uh, Nixon, Newell, Tegan Knox for people who follow WWE. Those two have history together. They can tell the story that never got told in WWE. I would love to see that told go to impact go win the the knockouts tag titles go be in that division let's have stokely hathaway return and do something and and form a, a new faction with somebody somewhere that would be dope and it's really funny that you bring that up because if I, my my first uh, uh uh desire is to be like i want to see tegan knox and dakota kai continue their thing over in aew but the problem is, over in AEW, <laughs> women aren't getting enough time as is. I mean, there's a whole lot that we can talk about and probably will now uh, about the direction of the company. But the women don't get enough time on weekly television between the two shows for them to be able to pick this up. Even though it is such an easy win, which they sorely need right now in that division. But for every woman they pick up is, is another like three months before we see someone we've already seen on TV. The bloat is hurting them now so badly. And I, I'll acknowledge, like I still like a lot of what AEW is doing. I like these Owen Hart 
tournaments that they're setting up they're uh, it's big for wrestling it's big for bell to bell wrestling and tournaments over the long haul you know we'll probably talk about this a little bit later with new japan again but they can tell great stories with series of matches and here's one where it's you can have a lot of guys who aren't necessarily your world champion and a lot of women who are not necessarily your women's world champion going at it and having great matches and telling these stories that's cool except for the fact that it's been such a long time since we've seen so many of them and half of them aren't even from your regular roster anyway yeah this this roh acquisition has brought in so many new faces and now you're going to be putting on all these other shows you're still building to a pay-per-view you're building to maybe a second show right after that too and it's turning into this thing of just, well, what are we supposed to be paying attention to? Because it feels like too much. Right. And, you know, over the last couple of months, we've seen what felt like a concerted effort to give the women more time and more opportunity. Right. You saw the introduction of the TBS title, which was supposed to give women more TV time because now you've got two women's champions. You have the women's Owen Hart Cup. Great. You you had um, uh, the story going on with Brit and... Uh, uh, Jamie Hader, oh, yeah. yeah, no, and, and Jamie Hader that's slowly, like, coming to fruition. We'll talk more about that in a second. But the problem is now, having seen how, let's say the last six months, right, the recognizable changes that they made to allow women more screen time in the last six months are noticeable. But also, if you tell me that AEW is planning to put on two full tournaments with two full we still don't know if it's eight or 16 people i'll assume it's eight because it's probably going to be eight but if we assume it's eight people in each how are you going to convince me that you're going to be able to put on two eight person tournaments plus have all of your champions on tv and still have the women get treated or presented as though they're any sort of relevant it's really frustrating because they do have a great women's roster and they Prove it every time they're given the opportunity. You see uh, uh, Serena Deeb and Hikaru Shida put on a banger of a match on Dynamite. It was great. And a lot of the times when they give the women this time and put in the thought to make sure that it's a match that should be happening, it this is what we get. But we don't get it nearly enough. And honestly, I find myself sitting there watching the weekly shows going, what would I have cut to put another women's match or segment in. And I got to tell you, I have not had a single week where that's been a problem for me. There is not one week that I've looked at an episode of Dynamite and been like, I don't know what I would take out of this. Every single time. Every single time. And there's no excuse for it anymore. They've got too much talent spread through this women's division. And if they're trying to bring in talent from outside, if they're trying to bring in women from stardom, if they're trying to bring in women from TJPW, if they're trying to bring in anyone from Japan or Mexico, or anywhere else that you want to go, great, I love that, and I like that you're showcasing that. But what about these women you signed who are amazing? Uh, Kiera Hogan said when she first got signed, she voiced some displeasure about this, where she felt like, you know, they signed me, I'm hot right now, and they're not doing anything with me. And there's a point where, you know, they do long-term storylines, the booking is done well in advance, you got to give it a little bit of time, fine but we haven't seen her on tv until like now and that's an issue and 
it's something where she's only on TV now because she's with Jade Cargill. And uh, another uh, related but unrelated point to this is the how, okay, Red Velvet's a heel now just because that's a very like WWE move of, you know, forget the last thing you saw with Red Velvet. She's a heel. Don't worry. And I, I hate when they do things like that. I, they being anybody who's telling these types of stories when it just, the choice is made of, eh, nobody was really paying attention to you. So who cares? And that's an issue. And so for somebody like Kara Hogan coming in, it's okay. You're, kind of in the Jamie Hayter role, but for Jade Cargill. And cool, that's fine right now. I like Jade Cargill. I like the baddies thing that she has going on for her. Same. It's an evolution of her character. That's, I like that. That's, I'm a fan. And I like that she's on TV. And this will extend to the, the men's division as well. These, I don't want to say mid-card titles, but these other titles that are not the world titles have kind of taken the forefront of the show they're on tv all the time like they are in some of the bigger storylines that are on AEW television along with the ring of honor titles that are now on AEW television that are featured in everything and it feels like i can't watch an episode of dynamite without without it being ring of honor related now before i i because i do i do want to talk about that but one more thing i want to bring up you mentioned red velvet is what particularly bothers me about that, besides it, you know, it is clear WWE booking where she was a face. She was literally just involved in the storyline where she was the face, maybe the only face between uh, Layla Hirsch and uh, 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 Chris Statlander. But also, they they brought in Red Velvet as the foil to Jade Cargill. That was how they were introduced, right? It was Cody and and Velvet versus Jade and Shaq. And then their rivalry kind of continued from there. And it became pretty clear one was advancing in a way the other was not. And you couldn't have them, like, constantly be next to each other, which is fine. But AEW's strongest skill has been the ability to create more human than wrestling connections between their characters. And this feels like you're just kind of throwing one of those out. Now, granted, maybe down the line this is some kind of, like, DDP-esque NWO swerve. But I, I don't see this being the way to go about doing it. It feels really abrupt and random. There was no buildup to it. And now it's just a thing. And I could see the argument of putting, like, Velvet and Kiara as a tag team. Cool. But you're making an awful lot of women's teams for a show that doesn't have any award for women's teams is another problem I see with that. And I'm not arguing that they should bring in another title because God knows they don't have time for it. But exactly. Like they don't have time for it. That's exactly the point because had they spent the time on either Red Velvet saying, well, I'm a heel now, or Red Velvet saying, well, all right, we've had all of our differences. We've faced each other so many times. You got it, but you acknowledge me as being a baddie, so I'm in the group with you. Okay. And so... That's all you have to do. You have to explain it somehow. And they didn't bother to spend the time explaining it because to them, apparently, at the stage they are right now, Jade Cargill's worth the time, but that's kind of it. Right, and that's been a problem for this company from the beginning, Is and I, I complain about this all the time, is BTE sometimes feels like mandatory watching. And I, I'm not saying they did this on BTE. They didn't. But it's the same problem where 
all the small details don't get presented to the audience. Whether or not they exist in another medium is completely irrelevant, right? This isn't the Kenny Omega hangman story or even the Kenny Omega, like, Young Bucks turning heel story. But this is another example of we have an idea and we're going to go with it. And the minutia will either be figured out or not, whatever. And to that, again, it's something where you're watching an episode of Dynamite or Rampage and you see Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill's on both, usually. Like, she has a promo and want a match on the other. Something like that. And then it's you get a video package for Thunder Rosa, maybe. Uh-huh. You get, uh, you know, a, now we're getting video packages for, okay, we're going to have the ROH title unified soon. And that's an AEW promotion. So here you go. You got to look at that, too. And then you get, okay, Britt Baker. Cool. Baker's now in more of a backseat role for a lot of things because she dropped the title, which is fine. But for that, it's Tony Storm appears. Oh, yeah, Tony Storm is all elite. I forgot because we haven't gotten anything from her besides random 30-second backstage things for what feels like the last month. And then, oh, yeah, Ruby Soho is here, too. I forgot. Have I seen her on TV this year much at all? Not really. And this is just indicative of the thing. You're bringing somebody in. You're getting the initial pop. You give them a storyline once, and then it's okay, the roster's bloated, you gotta wait. Mm -hmm. And, like, Dark is great, and the fact that they have these people work on Dark is also awesome, but the majority of your audience isn't watching four episodes of wrestling in a week. That's not happening. And if they are, it's not gonna be all your promotion. It's very unlikely. Uh, With that said, one of the other things you brought up was about the, the TBS and the TNT titles, and I'd love to talk about the TNT title next, and after that, we can spend some time talking about your point, about the two titles kind of taking away time from the world titles. Uh, But first, TNT title. Because how can we not talk about the Cody Brown... I'm sorry, the Sammy Ty American Top Team thing. The plight of Scorpio Sky. (laughs) (laughs) Where, come on, man, it's... They they just ran it back. They ran back almost the whole thing. The ladder match and everything and all that. The, the ladder match that you love so much. And oh my everything. I it's somehow Dan Lambert looks like the I don't know, the whitest meat baby face in all of this. Of Which I is, told you I've been saying it all along. Ridiculous. Why is that happening? Dan Lambert is a look, here's what happened. And I, you know what? I was right week one, and I'm gonna be right again now. It was, this was the story for Cody and Brandy, and Cody was like, I'm not going to turn heel, and they're like, that's the direction we want to take this in, and Cody's like, I respect that. No. And they were like, well, this is what we want to do, and Cody's like, well, I can't just refuse, because you've taken that away from me, but I don't want to do this, and I want a shitload more money. And Tony was like, well, I respect that. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Vince will pay you more. And that's what... that. I'm convinced that that's what happened because there is nothing about the storyline that isn't Cody Brandy. Everything we're getting from Sammy and Ty is Cody Brandy. The <laughs> I was I was watching the the episode of Dynamite with my partner and <laughs> she's like, are, "So are they heels now?" And I'm like, "Listen, you saw Sammy came out in the fur-lined coat. He's a heel. That's how heels work." Heels do that. Faces don't do that. <laughs> and it's true. And it's one of those things where, again, from the beginning, where, where Sammy comes out and is like, 
I'm going to pander to the crowd. I'm doing this for you guys. I love you guys. I don't care how short my career is as long as you love me. To now where it's like, yeah, I won it. I'm the champion because I'm the, I'm the champion. This is my, my piece. She's hot, which, by the way, is what she's been reduced to, which is a fucking travesty. But she's hot. We're the power couple here. What up? Hate us. And in doing so, I don't hate turning Scorpio face. Scorpio's great in either role, although I would I I regret not getting to see more of like Men of the Year doing their thing before now. But fine, I guess. It it feels like for a company that tries really hard to adapt, they're really bad at adapting sometimes. Definitely. And this is something where, okay, I hope that they adapt in a certain way because everybody feels like they're in the wrong role here. Yes. <laughs> of, uh, okay, Ty Conti and Sammy. Sammy can play a heel. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I get it. He, yeah, he was a heel at the beginning. He's a heel again now. All right, sure. She can probably play a heel just fine. But oh, again, geez. as you just said, they've reduced her to just being such a side or background character that it's unfortunate. And I'm hoping maybe in whatever tag match they get out of this, she's given a little bit more time to shine, but I don't feel like that's going to be the case. But and, e- even then they're dooming her because they've got their heels are their their women's roster heels are significantly more over and, and well-constructed than the faces. When you have someone who's as over as Ty was because she was, as a face, you don't throw that away when you're struggling for faces. Yep, and they did because they threw it away for a storyline that has nothing to do with the women's roster. And that's the sad reality of the situation. However, the others on the other side, of course, Lambert is now horribly miscast. Uh, Scorpio, as you said, could do either. Ethan Page is miscast now if he's going to be a baby face. Okay, Kazarian, Kazarian bringing Scorpio kind of back to the good side. Sure. Uh, fine SCU people like SCU all right bet but you know you have too many people that are on the same side right now on the same team that it just doesn't make sense on paper and it doesn't make sense with any way that they act at all because Ethan Page coming out and being a baby face right now does not make sense Dan Lambert coming out and being a baby face right now which he is doing does not make sense and yet they're doing it. They're pushing it. It just, it feels wrong. Yeah, it's, it's, we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago where AEW is very clearly kind of shifting the direction that the company's going in. And this is one of the growing pains, I feel like, very, very clearly where it's, we have an idea of where we want to go. And so we're going there. How we get there maybe won't be the prettiest thing. We're not gonna we're not gonna like gradually lean over until we find the lane we're trying to get to. We're jamming the fucking car and we're gonna go and whatever damage happens on the way there is what's gonna happen. But there is an audience that this appeals to, right? And I'd argue that people who have spent less time watching the the AEW like content are going to enjoy this more. The there's a lot of stuff here that you're right, doesn't make sense. But if you haven't been watching since the beginning and you haven't been invested in all of these characters since they first showed up and you're more of a, 
I came in when Punk came back. I came in when Danielson showed up. Okay, this is the first, second, maybe, major plotline that you're seeing from both sides of this. So there's less that you're you're being kind of thrown around with uh, because you're still kind of settling into these characters. Most of them are not recognizable to you outside of now. And I, I think that's part of what they're kind of banking on to make it survive. But, like, the latter match was entertaining, but it didn't... It didn't feel like it mattered. Like, I was... I was telling you, I was sports entertained through that match. It was it was entertaining. They did cool stuff. They had a story, which already makes it better than the last ladder match. And they had a story, but they felt like they had to do this thing where it's like, okay, we've done 15 ladder matches in the last two years. How do we make this one different? Uh, I, I have a gripe with the ending because I think the match should have ended when uh, Scorpio countered the springboard cutter. Right? Yes. Like, uh, that storyline wise would have made sense to be the ending of this is what won it for you last time it didn't win it for you this time because he saw the last one because he watches the show um but okay that's besides the point i i think part of it is that they're trying to tell like these really big storylines and in doing so like this is one that they told that currently is one of their biggest storylines it's this maybe like wardlow mjf which is still getting the burn which is i think is being told reasonably well i agree um but besides that like what are the big storylines that's kind of the main ones right now because the, your main champion's not on tv uh and what's up with that because there's too much to fill the space and if you're not gonna have that match until double or nothing you you don't need them on tv and that's a little bit of a problem and I, uh, I I don't think AEW shows are bad by any means. They're telling lots of cool stories at different levels. I'm enjoying Swerve and Keith Lee versus Team Taz. I'm, you know, Hook and Danhausen and, and all match that. Match of stuff. the year. That's, it, that's no matter what the, like, format for that match is, match of the year. Easy. Yeah, and, and all sorts of <laughs> levels. Like, I'm, I'm agreeing with you because, hell, I love Danhausen and hashtag send Hook every single week. Yeah. But... Hookhausen, all... I need injected into my face. <laughs> For your next tag team champions. Yes. And, yeah, let's go. Versus Jurassic Express <laughs> next week. Book it. Uh, I would love to see it. Come on. Same. But, but, okay. But, like, so much of what they're doing, I enjoy the, be- the original group of best friends are back together as, like, the main group. The, uh, the BCC with Wheeler Yuta and John Moxley. We could talk about that. They're, they're doing lots of cool stuff, the tournaments, but there's so much stuff and it feels like so much of it is like, uh, we're going to go 90% with this and we can't go a hundred percent because we got to cut time for something else. And it's funny that you bring that up because one of the other things I want to talk about is the pacing of AEW stories, which I think is kind of what, what this is pretty, pretty obviously leading to, right? is this idea of wait for it, which is fine. Some of the best storylines they've told are long, slow burn storylines. But at the same time, you now have this bloated roster and there's so much going on that a lot suffers for it. Uh, Just to throw out some examples, and we can talk about those or others if you want, you've got the Julia Hart story, which for a time was really compelling and people were interested. 
and then the stuff between the House of Black and the Varsity Blondes ended. And it was like, okay, fine, so, but it'll come back. And now it's been, I don't know, months? And the, the only plot we've got is she sits there looking like an emo teen, and there's a little bit more black coming out from under her eye patch. Is it compelling? No, it would have been a month ago, but they were busy doing other matches a month ago. The other one I want to bring up is this, like, start, stop, start, stop thing they keep doing with, like, Death Triangle and the House of Black, where you have this thing where they... So Phoenix just came back, right? They just did the thing where where they, like, baited them to the ring, and they came out, and then Abrahantas walked out, and there was a huge pop because they thought he was in the ring. It turned out to be Phoenix, and Phoenix just, like, mollywops them with the most awkward uh, <laughs> attack with a shovel I've ever seen, but... But now, Phoenix is having his first match back, and it's going to be an Owen Hart tournament match, which is fine, against Dante Martin. And I think that this is a really big point that, that also goes to kind of your, your statement about the titles, the world titles, and how they get edged out, is this is a show that tries to harken back to the Attitude Era in how it presents storylines and how it connects the characters together but it fails to follow through because they're at the same time trying to be a product that goes match quality. Match quality, uh, uh, either it's got to be a classic or it's got to be a spot fest. These are the rules. So who's he facing in the, the Owen Hart Cup? Dante Martin. Not one of the people he should be facing. Dante Martin. And it's something where I we've talked about this a bit, but in thinking about AEW and thinking about let, go back to the ladder match for a second right of uh either one but the most recent one of Scorpio and Sammy they whip out a ladder with barbed wire on it which is completely unnecessary because that is not how ladders are supposed to be constructed and you have this thing where they're taking bumps on it and they're getting up and they're going up and they're flying all over the place and doing all this stuff because it's entertaining and I'll give them points for entertainment cool but they're selling it like this is the most intense thing that AEW can put on TV. And it's not, it, it's not it in terms of like uh, a visual thing. Sure. The optics. Okay. It's intense when somebody falls 15 feet off a ladder onto another ladder and then there's supposed to be spikes on it. Okay. Intense. But the most intense matches that AEW has been, has put on were, CM Punk and MJF. And I, it doesn't even need to be the dog collar match. The first CM Punk MJF match was intense as hell. Yeah. Why? Because they built this storyline of these two hate each other. These two are at, at each other's throats. Punk wants to shut him up and MJF will not get in the ring with him until he does in his own hometown. And this is something where it's just built to, it's built to, JR has the old line of you can, you know, like you can cut the, like the tension with a knife, like that type of thing. Cause it's so thick. You can feel it. That's intensity right there. And that's something where you can't just say it's intense and, and automatically it's intense. And AEW, like for the attitude era, like you just brought up, like back in the day there, for those old enough to remember who were, lucky enough to watch this live stone cold steve austin and triple h were in a blood feud with each other these two you want to talk eddie kingston on site these two were like man i gotta hear somebody use the letter h 
in a sentence and i'm coming for you <laughs> and it, like they were doing ridiculous over the top stuff but not just that it was triple h has a championship match oh he's about to win austin comes out and screws him out of the title okay austin has a title match he's about to win what happens triple h comes out and screws him out of the title why because it's oh hell no I'm not letting you have any measure of success at all as long as I'm here. And that is intensity because as an audience member, you're automatically roped in to say, one of these guys showed up, where's the other one? Mm. Because as soon as these two are even close to each other, it's just going to be butting heads at each other's throats, fists to the face, moves off of anything they were in a fight they were in a brawl every single time and aw tries to sell that type of thing sometimes but they just don't follow through on it because they they do these things where it's all right it's on site but i'll wait until your entrance is done and you're in the ring and i'm scheduled to come out also for a sit down where we're gonna talk for five minutes to fill a promo segment and there's no intensity there. And Eddie Kingston can sell intensity. And I, I, I'm harping on this feud just because like he used the on-site thing. This is not the feud that I have this problem with because I do think these guys are more uh, carrying that intensity of we'll jump Jericho on commentary. You know, we'll jump him before they even get to the arena. You know, we'll, we'll go to your house. I'm like, okay, that's intense. I get that because they get it. I think they understand what it takes to be intense. But for House of Black and, and uh, Death Triangle, it's like, come on, guys. Like, whether you want to say it's legit or storyline, one of your, your brothers out. He's got a broken arm. Like, you had to bring in a giant to have a match, and then you just lost and went home? Mm-hmm. And then you waited a month to have another one? Like, come on. This, that's not intense. There's no intensity there. So, I mean, yeah. I will defend to the death this Eddie Kingston, Chris Jericho storyline because I think it has been very intense. I think they've been doing it really well. Jumping them literally at the airport, top tier. Agreed. The fights backstage. They've been doing a really good job. The sit-down, I'm willing to to give a pass on. They gave the throwaway line, right, of, like, Tony Khan doesn't want them to, like, touch each other and have the sit-down or whatever. Great. Fine. I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that as long as it doesn't devolve into that. As long as this isn't like a six-man tag match, and then we're done. With the House of Black, I'm gonna I'm gonna harken back to something from long before the podcast started that WWE did a really good job of with this. Way past the Attitude Era. Anyone but you, Roman. Anyone but you. So good. Bray Wyatt and Roman Reigns, phenomenal storyline. People didn't want it because Lol Roman wins during the major Roman push. Everyone wanted Bray to be over. But they were feeding him to Roman, and everyone knew they were feeding him to Roman. So a lot of people don't look back on it fondly. But looking back at that plot, I can't even just call it a feud or a storyline, because it wasn't. It was more than that. It was a plot. They had their matches. They had their, like, promos. They moved on, but they didn't move on. There were still a number of times where Bray would show up to fuck with Roman and would try and stop him from getting ahead. And it was perfect. And... AEW has had some success with this in the past, but I think that this is an example of the 
again, the direction of the company and, and what that means. As they transition into more of a mainstream company, they are starting to follow some of the traditional, I put that in quotation marks, uh, wrestling rules, which are like, you have your matches, you get your stuff in, the storyline is over, you blow it off, and then you're done. But one of AEW's biggest charms is that it doesn't do that, right? Uh, like I said before, and like we talked about in our series of videos, uh, of, in our three-part series, where AEW did and could continue to make its biggest power that they don't have superstars. They don't have TV characters, right? They have, even the ones who are, right? Even like the Orange Cassidy's, even the alien Statlanders, even the, the, these TV characters feel more human than you get in other companies. There's a lot more nuance to who they are and what they do and why they do it and who they're friendly with and who they're not. And a lot of that has kind of gone out the window, which really sucks. The The Sammy Ty thing, like we talked about before, was, was like banging you over the head with a hammer to the point where it was like, well, wait, are they supposed to be the heels? Why would they be the heels if these guys are clearly the heels? Uh, with the, the House of Black thing, where things are sort of stalled and... They're, in essence, feeling kind of like Bray Wyatt did at a point where it's like, cool, spooky promos. And then either they don't win or they win and it leads nowhere, so it doesn't matter, right? Pack was fine. Pentagon's become Penta Obscuro, which has its own problems that we've discussed with Abrahantas. You have Julia Hart, who's sitting on the fucking steps doing nothing for months. And, and it's so hard to invest when those tiny things have fallen away hangman's not on tv as much and like sure part of that is he's a dad and part of that is you know he had an issue with covid and part of it is wanting other people to get tv time but at the same time if you're not giving us reasons to care about these people we're not going to and and that's becoming a problem uh, the CM Punk MJF feud is, like you said, it's a blood feud. These guys hate each other, and it was so compelling, and the matches were so compelling because we believed in their hatred, because we felt that need for them to get these wins for completely personal reasons, whereas other matches don't feel like that. And that's one thing that you, you see in the Attitude Era, uh, since you brought it up before, is, well, Austin and H hate each other, want to ruin each other's lives. So, they get title matches in wrestling contests, right? Which is what AEW, in theory, should be doing. Here are your wrestling matches that don't have to be inherently tied to your storylines. But when those happen, the characters involved in the plots and the storylines and the interpersonal relationships get involved. And there was a time where that was true. We saw it a lot with, like, the Dark Order during those storylines, but that's kind of petered out. We, we've we seen it in a lot of places, but not recently. And it, it makes it hard to see any real passion, intensity, or, or um, sincerity, that's the word I was looking for, or sincerity in a lot of these feuds. They just feel like cookie-cutter generic wrestle plots. And you can get away with saying Hangman's not going to be on TV for a month 
and the month is going to be about finding his next challenger. And that's cool. And it's carried by Punk winning matches, being ranked number one, and then saying, cool, I want a championship match. Let's go. And it's the journey to get there. And he can win or lose, whatever. doesn't matter. You can't do that with these lower feuds of Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm have talked a lot of trash every single week in 20-second snippets. And every single time it's, oh, well, we're going to go backstage where they're going to talk again and have and have agreed for some reason that that is not explained in any way to not be uh, uh violent towards each other yeah because why okay eventually you guys are going to have a match eventually it's not going to be now it's not going to be on rampage it's not going to be next week it's not going to be on next week's rampage eventually you guys are going to have a match and it's been that way for like a month and that's something where every time it pops up, I'm like, oh, this is the match. Oh, it's not. Okay, why do I care? And for things like that, you you know, back with Austin and H, it was always the thing of they would do things so violent to each other that one would be written off for two weeks. And then the other one would get the title match in those two weeks, have go to have the title match, then the other one would return. And it was the the thing of just, no, these two are stopping each other from doing their job because of how intense this is and that's something where the beginning of jericho and eddie kingston was kind of like that well the jericho appreciation society and eddie kingston and the boys that feud of no we attack them they're not here and they're not gonna be here because they know if they come back we're just gonna you know beat them up again and send them home with the whole like check behind that curtain check behind that curtain not here not here and they did that for a couple weeks that made sense yeah because it's the thing of like no we wrote them off they're gone and this is something where no they're all here like tony storm's here every week jamie Hayter's here every week why don't you have the match right now oh because women don't get time on this show (laughs) well because it's a tournament match you have to wait for the tournament Okay, cool. But for all of the other matches that are just yes. like this one, why? Yes. That's the problem. Yeah, absolutely. You you see it everywhere. Uh, there's, and it it gets really frustrating to to see them be in a position where they have so much talent that either doesn't get utilized or just kind of gets put in front of a camera for for a minute or two. You also saw it a lot. Um, with Moxley Jericho back in the day when they did the Moxley Jericho title storyline, right? Where there was a lot more of that aggression and a lot more of being in each other's faces and being involved in each other's stuff. But now it just isn't really a thing. And I can hope that when ROH kind of becomes its own entity again, hopefully, and, uh, the the tournaments that require immense amounts of time and investment and uh this upcoming new japan show that these types of things will be like okay we don't have everybody here all the time where we have to feature everything that but for the time being I, i get it you form a new group they have to go have their things you get a new talent they have to go win their matches bet you have the unless you're Tony storm yeah, and you, you like you have the BCC now, where it's like, okay, Wheeler Yuta has the showcase of his life, and he's a star now, and then he's going to be in six man tag matches for a couple of weeks, like beating up people that 
nobody really cares about right now because they're not featured. I get it. You get the group, their wins, but the intensity that, that like the fire that was there for that match, which is one of my favorite matches of the year, him and Moxley. Oh yeah. Like, Damn. That match was amazing. Um, that's how you make a star right there. We yep. could dissect that for days, but that is a thing where it's like the fire could not be brighter with this guy right now. And since it's been like, okay, Wheeler Yuta, all right, bet people like Wheeler Yuta a lot more than they used to. But Wheeler Yuta is not doing anything right now. This group is not doing anything right now. They're winning matches. Okay, bet. But like, there's no six man tag titles, there's no trios titles. So who cares? Yeah. And this would be such a great opportunity for them to show us that they're not so heavily invested in telling long term storylines all the time that we can do this they can recognize that they don't need to put more wins under the belt of a team of John fucking Moxley, Brian Danielson, and a guy who is white hot right now and just pull the trigger on a storyline. Double or nothing is in less than a month now, right? There is no reason we shouldn't already be building to that for them. Because if they're not on that card, you have fucked up. So do something. Whether it's, I don't, I don't care if you're going to have it be some some House of Black thing. I don't care if you're going to have it be... That's the other problem is, I don't know even know who you do it with. Because most of the other groups are busy in in other places. Because they're, they're resolving things that have been going on for months that haven't been resolved. So, unless you rush to make a story for that, I don't even know who you put them against that feels like a, a plot worth exploring. And is it does it have to be this three-on-three thing? Or can this not be taking advantage of the fact that Wheeler Yuta is the ROH pure champion? Could, could this be AEW throwing people at him and him having these showcases of just being this, this new uh, rising star in the company? Of There's just so much you can do. Right, because you can even use him. He's over now. You could even use him to introduce the fans to new people. Use him to, to put against ROH guys who aren't, like, super well-known or people you plan to have featured on ROH. Do that because if he, who people have in their heads, rent-free, living there, working his ass off, getting so much praise, if he goes in there and puts on a 10- or 15-minute great match with somebody people don't know, people will remember that person afterwards. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And you could even get that person in the ring with Danielson and Moxley somewhere in all of that. And, you know, I'm not saying like he has to beat them to get to Wheeler Yuta, but like, come on, you can do creative things. Just have this group go out there and, and just say, how Wheeler Yuta could be like, hey, if you get in the ring with Moxley or Danielson and you impress me enough, I'll put my title online against you. Right. Have them get their ass kicked for five minutes, and then he's just like, fine, whatever. I'll kick your ass next week. Yeah. There's no reason why you can't do that. No, none whatsoever. But he hasn't, I don't even know that he's spoken besides that one backstage segment where he said like one line with Mm -hmm. the when they were all there as a group. Yeah. And that's crazy to me where you just have this moment, this, this huge moment, this coming out party for a star and then do nothing you, you don't take advantage of it at all we once said that AEW does such a good job of letting their moments breathe 
that is no longer true by by most most of what they've shown us recently, which is a goddamn shame. With that said, you know we're we're being pretty critical of, of it, which I know shocking considering what we usually have to say about AEW on on the show, but overall their product is still good. They still they still do a lot of things right, and they do have the the argument of our match quality will always be top tier, right? They they do kind of the opposite. I can't even call it the opposite. They have kind of a weird mirror version of the WWE problem right now, right? Where WWE, most of their matches are kind of middling, and even the ones that have good buildup and good storylines don't really always pay off with good matches. Whereas here, we know we're going to get the matches, but the plots don't always line up. That's sucks. very true. That that's very true, and uh, unfortunately, with uh, the WWE, it's a situation where there's a lot of stagnation of seeing everything, and so many times to the point where you just don't care, or it's just the same people over and over again. And with a roster where they keep making these cuts, it's a situation where well, they just don't have other options. Um, and in AEW, it's the opposite now where like, yeah, they, they just have so many options that it's a thing of, I look and I say like, well, you know, book your dream card with ROH or book your dream card with uh, New Japan. And it's, there's so many ways that you could do it just because there's so many options. And that's a problem in and of itself. It's, it's a good problem to have, but it is still a problem. There's a, which brings up Forbidden Door, which is what I wanted to talk about next, because you have so many potential matches you could have on that card, right? There are so many directions you can take, and very few of them are wrong. But is this a one-time thing? Is this Forbidden Door 1? Because I think that matters, right? The amount of investment that you as a fan base can have, I think, really relies on knowing what this means is this a we were able to work it out this time and uh that's kind of it we hope you enjoyed it similar to how the like people coming over from new japan feels like a lot of the time where it's like yeah well they're here okay they're gone moving on or or is this something we can think about and really put put effort and time and and get excited for beyond this is just dream matches we know that they're going to be aiming a lot for uh, New Japan versus AEW and not just, like, a card that has AEW matches and New Japan matches, which is great. That's so exciting. And I'm, I'm hyped about that. I, I don't even want to, like, but here because I, I, I just want to be excited about it. it. It's very exciting. And I think we've been very, very, very uh, uh, critical of AEW. And it's nice to talk about some of the good parts, and this is definitely one of the good parts. Holy moly, there's so much going on. It breaks my heart that we probably won't get the continued story of the Golden Lovers right now. But, man, there's so much that can happen here. And I expect things to. I don't think it's just going to be matches either. I mean, imagine a world where this is just Forbidden Door 1, and next year, same time, there's Forbidden Door 2, and you have... Kota Ibushi, the who has coming off of a Wrestle Kingdom win 
and is their world champion and you have the returning Kenny Omega who may be the first two-time uh, AEW world champion. Probably not, but still. Probably not. Probably not, but I don't care. You can dream. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that match, though. Just imagine that's like the main event of that show. That's a 60-minute draw. That's a Broadway. That's 100% a Broadway. And that ends with, like, the as the clock ticks down the last seconds and these two men are down on the mat, they're, like, crawling towards each other to try and get a pin. And then right as they make contact, the it hits zero, the bell rings, and instead of doing the, like, fuck layout on the mat that usually happens... They're like, all right, well, the match is over. We can't win. And they just sort of like half dead hug each other on the mat. And it would be such a feel good moment. It would be amazing. Yeah. I, I would love that. It, it's okay. Like, that's fantasy booking to oh, like oh, the nines. But yeah, yeah I, uh, but still, for this, so many people, I guarantee you, as soon as it was announced, fantasy booking goes wild of just, there's so many options. And, you know, you could have champion versus champion. You could have, you know, champion versus champion up and down the card. But for that, it is also like, yeah, I, I personally, I hope this is like Forbidden Door 1. This becomes a, a thing. It, this is maybe the biggest push that New Japan is going to have in the United States in ever. Ever. And uh, in terms of being exposed to an audience that will be receptive to it. And, um, that's a big deal that's a really big deal yeah um it's funny so some of the comments from people involved are are really like fun and exciting to think about like you have the obvious ones where like kenta has called out cm punk because he wants to do the battle of the gts's uh and you have like okada who's like i'll face whoever because i'm okada and i'll just do that but i i think there will definitely be a time where i face like brian danielson or uh there was someone else he mentioned. I forget who the other name was. It, it was CM Punk. It's like Brian Danielson or CM Punk. Like, I think that happens before our careers are over. And then you've got Naito, who when asked about it was like, I, I don't know. I don't I don't even remember who's on their roster. But, like, I guarantee once this was announced, people were like, well, we're going to fight New Japan guys? That Naito guy. I want to fight that Naito guy. So I'm just going to wait and see who challenges me. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> The greatest interviewer. Oh, ever. hands Interviewee, down. sorry. Interviewee, but, yeah. Um, hands down. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I also imagine somebody like a Jay White will play a pretty pivotal role in all of this just because of like his role with all of these companies. Uh, you know, the the elite, the, the super elite uh, and bullet Excuse club. Me, and- do you mean the undisputed Oh, oh! Forgive me. The undisputed. I mean, elite. Oh, I, elite. I have to bring it up because there is something I want to gripe about before we're done with this. Do, do you mind? I promise not to take you off. By all means. When Adam Cole got signed to AEW, I was very excited because I like Adam Cole. I'm a pretty big Adam Cole fan. Uh, not so much the last few years. Because I feel like the Undisputed Era really ran its course uh, like a year to a year and a half, I'd say, before they broke up. They had run their course and had ceased to be interesting and were kind of just doing the same things and were reciting the same rhetoric and had, had kind of just lost my interest. 
Um, but I was, I'm a big Adam Cole fan. And so when he signed with AEW, I'm like, hell yeah, we're going to get, like, classic Adam Cole and the Young Bucks, like, PWG shenanigans. I loved that, like, Ring of Honor. It, it was great. It was always so much fun, and they're so... They're, they have such good energy together, and I was so excited for something refreshing with Adam Cole. And then they signed uh, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, and I was like, okay, cool. We're also going to get Red Dragon back, and that's so exciting because Red Dragon, pre-Undisputed Elite, or Undisputed Era, was <laughs> was such a great tag team. I absolutely loved watching them. And, like, they're, they're great as faces. They're fun as heels. But they're such a good tag team when they just can do their thing and not have to be Adam Cole side pieces. And then they brought them in with Adam Cole. And I'm like, okay, well, this is fine. We'll do this for a little bit. And probably with Kenny out for like a year or two, they'll probably like turn on, on Red Dragon. And then we'll have like the Young Bucks and Adam Cole do their thing again. And then Red Dragon will go be faces, and that's fine, and I get it. It's weird that they just turned face, like, the last time we saw them on NXT, but now they're going to be heels again here for a little bit, but finally you're introducing them to people. Whatever. It's fine. But no, no, here we are again with the Undisputed Era once again, again, here, now, and I am so upset. So upset, and I need it to go away. I have to imagine a part of this is uh, how long is Kenny out? Do they know? Um, Probably through the year, at least. Oh, yeah, easily. Oh, yeah. I mean, from our speculation, my thing is for them, do they Oh, know? I see, I see. Okay. And so how much of it is we don't have the room to tell this story right now, so just, like, let's coast a little bit? You could tell the story regardless. You don't need Kenny Omega to do an Adam Cole Young Buck story, or even to do a betrayal of the Young Buck story, or to do a betrayal of Red Dragon, or even have these other four guys get together and betray Adam Cole. I don't care. I just don't want more Undisputed Era. I can't fucking take it. I, I just mean in terms of, you now have ROH, which is a thing. You have this New Japan stuff, which is a thing. And I think for a lot of it, they're like, well... If we keep you guys as a group together, we can do a couple of things here, a couple of things there, and just kind of keep it on the back burner a little bit for the breakup until we hit the summer. And then we can do it. And it'll mean more because you were together longer here. Sure. I, it's inevitable, though. It's yes. just inevitable. But it, it goes back to the pacing thing of you had the match, uh, the, the two battle royals with uh, you have Red Dragon win one and Young Bucks win the other, and then you have the triple threat tag match. That was, what, a month and a half ago now? And nothing has come from it since. And now you have the tournament qualifiers where Adam Cole is in and Kyle O'Reilly's in and Bobby Fish is not yet in, who might be in but might lose, and that could potentially be a thing. What happens if they face each other in the tournament? There's ways you can start to do this, but it's that month and a half gap between the last story beat and this story beat is a lot. That's a lot to ask of somebody to say, yes. keep paying attention because eventually maybe something might happen. Okay. So I'm, I just, I had to get that out. I apologize for that, but you know, great insight. And I agree. Let's move on to more positive things. One last AEW thing I want to bring up and then let's move over to new Japan. I'm going to keep it really short. Dax and Cash. That match 
Oh, it made my heart feel so full. What a beautiful match. What a great love story to the Hart family. Just start to finish. Awesome. I couldn't have asked for a better one. Big fans of them. Go listen to the sessions with Renee. She had both of them on together. They talk about that match and and a lot of other stuff, which is they have awesome insight into what it takes to be a tag team in wrestling, what it takes to be a wrestler, what it takes to tell a story in a wrestling ring, what's important, what isn't. Uh, lots of good stuff. Like they are, if you don't believe that they are currently or already the best tag team of all time, that interview alone will go a long way to cementing that in your mind. And literally every time they open their mouths, it's worth worth listening to, like 100%. Okay, so with that said, let's move on to New Japan. Let's talk some New Japan. I know there was at least one thing you really excited to discuss, so we can start with that. It's a little, oh, it's a it's little like, older now, but... Yeah, yeah, we, I had to wait. I had to wait, but uh, okay. It, it's my front runner for match of the year so far, I think. I, I don't know what else is up there. I would have to go back and look at things maybe other New Japan matches, but uh, Kazuchika Okada retains his IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, right? That's how it's called now, um, against Zack Sabre Jr. in, oh my God, a hell of a match. And it was the final match in a series for Zack Sabre Jr. telling the story of who Zack Sabre Jr. is in New Japan, at least right now, of you have so many people and and you can stop me at any point in time because i will gush about this because i think it is exactly how to tell a story and commentary did an amazing job selling this too because if you haven't watched all of the matches which is him versus will osprey then him versus shingo takagi then him versus tetsuya naito before facing kazuchika okada for the title um zach saber jr is a guy that and I'll step back for half a second and just say, I love using video games to explain wrestling. And uh, we got to talk about wrestling video games one of these days, but we'll do man, a whole episode about it. I promise. It, oh, it's worth it. Yep. Cause Zach Sabre Jr. Is a guy whose stats, he doesn't have like any stat that outpaces most of these other top guys in new Japan besides maybe technical like submission skills, right? That's his thing. That's his game. So most other people, and we've talked about this, if you go back to and listen pretty much any other time we've talked about New Japan, Shingo Takagi is a guy that's a perfect example of this, this like iron will of, I fight my battles this one particular way, I use this set of skills, my stats are this, I will beat you doing my thing, right? And Okada's like that too like i will rainmaker you over and over and over again if i have to to put you in the ground and that's how i beat you because i'm okada and i have i'm at least an eight in pretty much every category if not a nine or a ten and that's what it is right and so when you have like these battles of giants facing each other it is that battle of wills that those tests of of metal of who's gonna win and zach Sabre jr can't win those battles he just can't and uh because he's not built like that he doesn't wrestle like that um and except he does have this like he has very good endurance and he has very good technical skills so when he goes out there he faces a guy like osprey and he says i know what moves you do 
I'm going to hurt you in specific ways so that as you do your moves, you're going to hurt yourself. So then when you're hitting me and I'm going to let you hit me, but I'm going to counter as much as I can to not like lose immediately. You're going to hurt yourself that I'm going to catch you in a move and you can't get out of it. And I win. And he did it to him. He did it to Shingo. He did it to Naito. And then he tried to do it against Okada. And the storyline was, is Zack Sabre Jr. still able to do this because he has gotten his ass kicked three times in a row because his strategy was, I'm going to get my ass kicked, but in kicking my ass, you are going to defeat yourself. And he does it to Okada and he hurts the arm where he says, all right, like you're going to have to Rainmaker me, but every time you go to Rainmaker me, every time you go to forearm me, every time you go to chop me, whatever, you're going to get more and more hurt to the point where eventually you can't beat me. And that was it. And that's the story of him and Okada going in being like, well, I know I can't get caught in one of these moves, but I'm going to Rainmaker you eventually with all the strength I have left. And if it's enough, you're staying down. And that's what it was. And it had one of the most old school things in the book in it and of a test of strength. And it wasn't the old school test of strength, like grabbing arms and just, you know, these two big beefy men pushing each other to the ground and then back up and all of that. Okay, not that. But it was the Zack Sabre Jr. challenged Okada multiple times in this match to essentially the forearm off of, uh, well, Zach uses the uppercuts, but whatever. And of, all right, look, I got to see how hard you can still hit. Because if, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, this is going to one, hurt you. And two, you're going to keep getting weaker. And if you get weak enough, I know that you won't win anymore. And then I can really start whipping out moves. And there were moments in that match that people thought Zach had the match won. Yeah. And that is perfect. That is amazing storytelling, start to finish. Uh, I don't think I need to heap any praise on Kazuchi Okada because like, come on, dude, he's one of the best ever. And Zack Sabre Jr., like this is, this is a showcase match for him. This is one of those things where if you look at this or any of his matches from this tournament, this is it. This shows you that he has what it takes to be that main event level guy even if you don't necessarily think he has everything across the board, he can tell stories like this. And that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you said it perfectly. I couldn't put it any better myself. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. This was a masterclass in ring psychology, storytelling, pacing, uh, a clashing of two, not just different styles, but different fundamental principles of, what wrestling is and how it should be presented and treated. And I, I don't think anyone could have done it better. Uh, you, you really did see just this quartet of matches that were sort of the perfect way to tell a story in the New Japan form. And, you know, you talked about the lack of intensity over in uh, AEW, and this is the exact opposite of that hands down yeah for AEW, like if you you have two tournaments coming up if you i'm not saying you're gonna have somebody like zach saber jr in your tournaments that's gonna do this but look at these matches look at this run look at naito's run look at okada's run look at shingo's run look at um haromu's run 
you know, do all of that stuff. See the way that you can tell these stories in these tournaments and do something like that. That's what I want. That's, that's the win from these tournaments that we can get from AW, and we could get it twice. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Okada, like Okada's Okada, right? Like, there's no need to say this, but yeah. Okada's been on a fucking roll lately, man. He's been on absolute fire recently. The The matches he's had in the New Japan Cup and the matches he's had, the match with Zack Sabre Jr., and then at uh, Wrestling Dontaku, his match against Naito is... Oh, I've heard a lot of people say that it's maybe the second greatest Okada Naito match in the history of their matches. Just beautiful. Absolutely amazing. We're a third of the way through the year, and I think it's I think he's the easy front runner so far for wrestler of the year. Uh I just based on the body of work. Like I know Zach, I've just heaped so much praise on him, but like Okada's been doing this since literally the first weekend of the year. And uh, and Zach, sure, he's got the rest of the year. Maybe he has a hell of a G one. We Zach's don't know. Been on fire since uh, yep. since his G one run last year. Exactly. So like, this is one of those things where these both these guys, and you could probably throw Naito in there too. Like Naito's had a good year so far too. But um, and and Shingo, like there's there's a lot of people, but like definitely Okada. Okada, I think like if you had to vote right now, I would not be surprised if he ran away with wrestler of the year. Yeah, uh, and I so we spoke a little bit about it beforehand, and I'm before we recorded, and I mentioned it just now. The Okada Naito match really is another example of that. Where um, I mean, there was just again passion and intensity. Naito and Okada say what you will about Omega. Um, sorry, say what you will about Omega Okada, but Ome- but Naito Okada is in my mind the rivalry in new japan right that's the the story right uh no matter no matter what those are the two guys who are always just sort of like nipping at each other they're like you know okada okada beats him at dontaku uh but that puts them at seven six so like lifetime seven six in singles matches and they're always just one off from each other they're always just trading these wins but that match saw Besides all of the classic stuff that you see from, like, Naito and Okada, you also had Naito reaching really deep into the well of, like, his moveset. You know, he, he did the classic Stardust Press misses because it always does. Because anytime he tries to pay homage to the Stardust genius, he will fail. Um, and especially against Okada, because that person can't beat Okada, right? Uh, but you also had Okada sort of... Uh, uh, pulling out some newer moves and doing this thing where he pulled out a lot of the moves from like classic new Japan history, right? There was, there was the ending sequence is amazing. He does like the Inoki and Zagiri and then does the Cobra twist into the Emerald Flosion since it's the like 50th year, right? It's the 50th, 50th anniversary. So we get like the Inoki, we get the Misawa and then he closes with the Rainmaker and it's just phenomenal. There was, there was this, we said before that New Japan kind of feels like anime, and this is absolutely a perfect example of that. This and Zack Sabre Jr. are very different, perfect examples of that feeling, where the Okada-Zack Sabre Jr. match felt like the match that you'll see in any, like, tournament arc 
of uh, like an anime where it's these two guys with very contrasting styles who are putting their styles into play here to see whose style will prevail. Whereas Naito Okada feels very much like the classic rivals fight, right? It's the Goku Vegeta fight. Uh, it's it is it's the Goku Vegeta yeah. fight. It's like a uh, uh, a very very Hokuto Shinken like Fist of the North Star. These two guys who have so much history come in here and will reach deep into the well and will pull out the moves of their mentors and their idols and their masters and their enemies and whatever it takes to to try and su- survive each other to prove that right now they are better and and it it's so cool to see. Yeah, it's the thing, like, going back to the video games briefly, it's like, it's like, you know, Okada's like a 10 on endurance and a 9 on high flying, and then Naito is like a 10 on high flying and a 9 on endurance, and it's just like, that's the little details that you have that, and both of them probably come out to like an overall like 99, and they're just like slamming into each other repeatedly, but, you know, Okada just somehow has this like intangible where he is he's wearing the history of new japan like you know he's carrying this with him it's that power of friendship uh main characters thing going shonen protagonist power that he just goes into matches with sometimes where it's like unless destiny has told me that today is the day that i lose then i will not lose Mm -hmm. only uh, when it's time for me to learn a new power or ascend to a new level do i ever really lose a a meaningful fight exactly which is when told properly is okay. So with that said, um, I think we've covered everything we wanted to talk about this week. Uh, sure. Yeah, we covered everything. <laughs> um. Oh. Oh. Okay. Real quick. Uh. New member of Bullet Club, Juice. Juice, who had an interview like a couple weeks ago, where he's like, "New Japan contract ran out. Gonna take some time off. Not really gonna be doing wrestling for a while. Don't know if I'll go back to New Japan. Gonna gonna look at the options. Shows up at Wrestling Dontaku is a new member of Bullet Club. I think uh, we will probably talk more about that next week when hopefully there's been a little more time for him to like work social media and and to to see a little bit more of what that means. When he has a match set up for Forbidden Door, we can talk about it. <laughs> Uh, okay, so with that said, um, closing thoughts? Oh, it's a chaotic period in the wrestling landscape, and I have no idea what to expect. I'm not really looking forward to WrestleMania Backlash, but who knows? Maybe they'll surprise me. WrestleMania, we we, t- we were positive about WrestleMania, so who knows? This is WrestleMania all over again, so well, it's maybe I'll love it too. WrestleMania Backlash. WrestleMania Night hey. 3. Hey, which is really just night one again. <laughs> yeah, but AEW is it's something where I feel like a couple of small changes, and I'm right back to loving them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't they don't even necessarily have to make those changes. We just sort of have to weather the storm. And once they've settled into the new direction that they're trying to take, I I don't think it'll be an issue. Uh, uh we just kind of have to wait and see. Uh, I think that definitely one of the things we do need to do is since Ali's back on TV. We should swap that hashtag out now. Bring back Miro. Hashtag where's Miro? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm good with it. I hope Ali is actually free to work. And uh, it'd be nice to see Miro and not just his face on a milk carton. Yeah, so. absolutely. Be nice. Uh, okay, yeah. And with that, I think we're going to say 
Good night. Thank you, everyone, for listening and hanging out with us through this. Uh, don't forget to hit us up either over on Twitter or leave a comment on YouTube. Like, comment, share, subscribe. So until next week, take care. And uh, remember, it's not over until the bell rings and you get backstage. Because otherwise a ref could still come out and tell the first ref that it was a screwy finish and then they could restart it. But like ref's discretion. <laughs>